This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23, follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, a black, Jamar's so good to say that, the president of The Witness, <laughs> a black Christian collective, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Chip Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's up, brother? And I was just going to say, it feels really good to hear you say that, The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. And so this is our first podcast after the name change, and and it's really exciting. Obviously, not much has changed in terms of past the mic, but we are the official podcast of The Witness. And so we're paying very close attention to uh, this new phase in, in the life of The Witness. Can I get a witness? I need a soundbite <laughs> of, of Kurt Franklin saying that. Uh, we need yeah, that. we need Somebody that. Please like make every that episode. Or just Listen, Kurt Franklin on the episode. I know, right? We keep saying that. Somebody hook us up. I know with Kurt somebody, okay. somebody listening. <laughs> if y'all love us, y'all will send us his email. Okay. <laughs> just let him know. Listen, man, we, we announced so much in the last episode, and we thank you guys for your response, for the feedback. It's been overwhelming to hear the positivity, to hear the encouragement, to hear people are excited about it. We had some killer articles in our first week on The Witness, and mm-hmm. I want to point yeah. you. Um, to the witnessbcc.com to check out all those great articles. And I also want to point you to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. We have some people who are already contributing to the podcast yes, per episode. Thank you. And we thank you so much for our patrons. We'll do um, a more extensive thank you to each one of you in the coming days and weeks. But we want you guys to go there, see what we're doing, see how you can help. For just a dollar an episode, that can drastically and dramatically help us to accomplish our 2018 goals, which include a PTM tour, an international tour. So we announced that in the previous episode. If you somehow missed that, go back and check that out. You need to get caught up. Where have you been? Uh, But we come (laughs) into a city near you more than likely, right, Jamar? Yeah, I hope so. And this is uh, our first foray into this. We had a great uh, live meetup in Memphis. So thanks for the folks out there. And we want to extend that. And so we're going to go be going to places, East Coast, West Coast, Mid-America, and everywhere in between. So definitely check out the previous episode. And like Tyler was saying, we need your support. And just to put it bluntly, we need your financial support because we would love to eat while we're going on these trips <laughs> and have a place to sleep. So hey, the Lord going to uh, provide one way or the other, Jamar. I got faith. Amen. Amen. F-A-I-F-A-I-F is faith. That's how you know it. Anointing. It's got to be faith. No T-H. Well, one of those ways he can provide is through that Patreon account. So visit the website. And um, we've got another really kind of important show, I'll say. It's it's kind of a heavy topic. Yeah. And, and, you know, speaking of a tour, we were recently in St. Louis for the LDR conference and I was excited to be there. It was my first time at LDR, had the privilege of speaking, um, on speaking the truth in love to our, our children and our youth, which was an amazing time with the people there. So shout out to everyone who came to my workshop and session. 
And we also had the privilege of doing another live podcast, completely non-controversial again, once again, with our sisters at Truce (laughs) Table. And we had the opportunity to do that in front of a live audience, which was amazing. And we received this this deep, penetrating, challenging question from one of our sisters in the audience. And Jamar, it was a moment I'll probably never forget. And it's a moment that so deeply convicted me that it's almost been hard to talk about it because of how vulnerable she was in that moment. Can you talk a little bit about how it felt to hear that question about misogyny, about how men treat women, particularly how men treat black women and how it affected you? So it was a young uh, black Christian woman who stood up. I believe she's a college student. And you're right, Tyler. Vulnerability is the word. That's that's the one that, that stuck out to me. Also, the word authenticity. It, it blew me away how she could stand up in a room, probably close to 100 people, um, most of whom I'm sure she didn't know, and ask just this uh, vulnerable, authentic penetrating, important question. And her phrasing even struck me almost like a physical blow because she said no matter where she goes or who she interacts with, her body is kind of central to the conversation and she's reduced to just her body. So whether that's being um, sexualized and and just looked at as uh, a piece of flesh to gratify men's desires or uh, even from religious folks, this fear of the female body and men being sort of repelled. And those are sort of opposite reactions, but kind of the same error in reducing a full the fullness of a person, their intellect, their soul, just to their body. Mm-hmm. And then she said something that I'll never forget. She said, where can I go just to be a little girl? Mm-hmm. She's, she's saying, where can I go just to be fathered or loved uh, by a brother? And that I was, I was, y'all passed me the mic uh, after a couple of the ladies from Truth Table spoke, but I was basically speechless. The only thing I could say in that moment was, I'm sorry. Um, and I mean that. And I mean that not just in general. I mean that for Jamar Tisby. I'm sorry for my role and my culpability in uh, objectifying women or making them feel like they've been reduced only to their physical bodies. Uh, mm. That's a struggle. Uh, and it, it, there's no excuse for it. Right. Um, and I applaud young ladies like this. I applaud her because uh, she took on a burden she shouldn't have to by being right. honest and vulnerable in that setting. Uh, but I thank her because it helped me as a man to see the the ways that that I can be harming my sisters in Christ. And so mm-hmm. we need that honesty, but I wish we didn't because men stepped up and hmm. obeyed God and treat women as equal bearage of the image of God. Yeah. So it's 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 particularly interesting now in light of the Me Too sexual harassment and sexual right. assault assault confessions so openly on social media and the situation with Harvey Weinstein. And then if we're going back even further, the situations with, with Bill Cosby and with so many mm-hmm. other countless men. I mean, if we're talking about a, a systemic issue as it relates to men, not just, you know, men out there in Hollywood, but also Christian men as well, this Absolutely. ranks high in the systemic issues. Um, as we talk to our sisters and as we interact with people around us, 
who have been the victims of your predators, who have been survivors of assaults, survivors of harassment, and just being objectified and unwanted advances and all these things that are so common. And then, you know, we get into those heinous acts or things I think men and particularly Christian men can point out and say, well, well, I would never do that. Mm. But then we get into just the, the general shaming of women, you know, the stereotyping of women. We get into the, the, the stereotypes of the angry black woman, which is prevalent, particularly within our context. The black woman who is quote unquote strong, um, and has to be strong to gain respect of men that she can't walk into a room and be herself because men will see her and portray her through our own sexist, misogynistic, patriarchal lens. And so these types of things, you know, deepen the conversation even more considering the overall climate of our country is setting itself up to really push against and push back this. But, but that's not why we, we decide to talk about this. We decide to talk about this because we ourselves have been guilty of the complicity of these actions, that we ourselves are guilty of a system, even within churches, that ostracizes and pushes women to the margins. So Jamar, what got you on this wavelength? What exposed it to you? Um, I, I'm sure I can probably think of a couple of major life events that got you <laughs> to think about misogyny and patriarchy and sexism, but but what kind of introduces to you? Because it's the the racism conversation and the white supremacy conversation, it's kind of a newer conversation in our circles and in particularly a newer conversation for you and me in particular. But now we're foraying to, into a conversation that's, that's even deeper <laughs> and maybe, right. and has, has existed far longer than that. So explain, you know, how you got introduced to the sensitivity of this issue. Right. And, and, you know, like you said, this is an issue that's always been there, but it's been because of my obtuseness that I haven't given it the attention that it's due. And so I'll just say that, that the ladies in my life, from my mother to my sister to my wife and friends have, have all uh, been amazing people to be patient with me and have, have really brought me a long way. I'd be in much worse uh, place uh, if, if, if it wasn't for them. Amen. But, more recently, it may surprise some people, but one of the things that that put this as a higher priority on me and something caused it to be something I really want to commit to addressing is studying history. As I looked at history, it wasn't, you know, I was looking in particular at race and religion and the ways that Christians have uh, created and perpetuated racism in the American church, but it wasn't just about black people generally. As I looked at history, black women uh, faced just a, a compounded kind of oppression because of their gender as well as their race. And so you can go all the way back to um, the colonial era and uh, moving forward to the days of slavery where black women were perceived to be stronger. And so they would be um, used for their not only their productive capacity in terms of labor in the fields, but uh, productive capacity in terms of procreation. And then they would be expected to, to carry a child to term, have the child, and then go right back to work. 
whereas uh, the slave master's mistress, wife rather, um, would uh, would be pampered and and considered delicate and protected and couldn't uh, take as much pain and certainly wouldn't be expected to work. But meanwhile, black women were raising not only their own children, but they're raising the children of the masters as well. Right, right. And so you have all of this. And moving even forward, one of my my heroes of the faith, Fannie Lou Hamer, had all of that. She was she had the trifecta. She was right. she was black. She was a woman, and she was poor. And so all of those things conspired to make her life incredibly difficult. And yet, in spite of that, and partly because of the lessons she learned through all that, she became a historic figure in the civil rights movement. So studying history was a big eye-opener, but also my friendship with the ladies of, of Truth's Table, um, where this came up, they have been incredibly prophetic to me yes. about uh, their their personal um, struggles and challenges as black women in Christian spaces. And also, they've been very brave to challenge me when I needed to be challenged. And so, Boy, again, you might as well say us. That. You know it's us. Change that me to us. Don't even front. I was, I was getting ready been. to be like, mm, yes, they've challenged you. <laughs> Boy, they, they, they have discipled us. Listen, yes. Listen, I can't even put into words how much it's meant to have them and I don't, you know, peers is, I think, disrespectful to them because I think they are far, you know, wiser <laughs> than I. More mature. More, way more yeah. mature, way smarter, way more gifted. And they have been instrumental in stepping to us both, not just digitally, but in person. Yes, and being right. like, listen, y'all tripping and y'all need to get it together. And, yeah. you know, very, very gently very graciously um, nudging us in ways uh, that are very important to yeah, us. And so they spoke that, in love. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And so shout out to True Stable, of course. But I'd say, man, Jamar, it's, it's really been interesting. I, I remember telling you one particular story, but before I get to that story, I think you are a scholar and you are, you have credentials and you have degrees and you have so many things. And if people know anything about me, you'll know I'm not as qualified as like a Jamar Tisby or any of the other men who operate kind of in these spaces. And so just because of that, I've seen that I have a plethora of choices and opportunities, even in my state of being unqualified. Like I may have abilities and gifts and talents, but as you, as you talk about credentials, just the raw, tangible, like, yo, you have this piece of paper. I don't have that. And I've seen my sisters who have far more credentials than I do struggle mm. to find opportunities, mm -hmm. like struggle yeah. to get doors open, struggle to have, you know, speaking engagements, struggle to have opportunities to share their wisdom and their gifts. And it's easy to say, oh, I'll pray for you. And then it's, it's, it's harder to say, man, well, why do I have these opportunities? And you guys are smarter than me. You guys are, are wiser than me. You guys have more gifts. You guys have more credentials. Why don't you have the same opportunities? And I'm not even speaking from an egalitarian context of, oh, well, we're talking about senior leadership in a church. I'm just speaking about how they're viewed. And there is a difference. And as we talk about the, the bar being far lower for me as even as a young black man without credentials, it, it's far lower for me than for um, our black sisters in particular and for our sisters in general. So that has been one thing that really convicts me as I take a step back 
and I'm honest about those types of things. And then also, man, you know, there was a story and a situation that really brought it home to me. So I grew up in a very strict Christian school and this Christian school was predominantly white. And one of the things that the legend had, which I don't know if it's necessarily true, I can't necessarily verify it, but one of the things was they had never had a black senior class president, which was like one of the most prestigious student government things you can get, obviously, senior class president, because there were special things that happened when you were the senior class president, not just the title, but you also got to, at the senior trip, lay a reef at the tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. So it was this huge honor to be able to lay a reef there, something that you would never forget. And so long story short, I was involved in a little bit of student government, but really wasn't involved um, that much. I was kind of being a chaplain for a couple of years of our class. And it came time for the senior class elections, our junior year. And there had been two women, one a young black woman, the other a young white woman, who had kind of traded off being vice president and president of our class over the course of those three years of high school. And a group of guys came to me and they were like, hey, I'll never forget this. We're in a lunch line, you know, put our trays up. And they were like, hey, we want you to run for class president. And I'm like, why? Like, I've never held any sort of presidential standard in any context. Like, why? I've just been a chaplain. I've just read the scripture, just done devotionals, disciple people. Like, why do you want me to be a senior class president? And they're like, well, you know, they were like, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say it like this, but we just kind of want a guy to be, we think a guy should be in that role. Mm. And I was like, huh? Like, what difference does it make? These are qualified women. Like, what's the deal? Like, even then, like, I wasn't hip to these things, but I was kind of like, man, that's kind of a fishy reason. But I got intoxicated with the idea of being the first. And they're like, oh, but then you could be the first black senior class president. I was like, oh, man, well, wow. You know, man, I could be Barack before Barack. I mean, come on. Like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I ran and I ended up winning. Um, And so I took a role from these two other more, far more qualified women. Now, fast forward a couple of years. And my sister just recently graduated from high school. And my sister had been the class president leading up to the the senior class elections. And I remember campaigning, being like, yeah, you're going to be the senior class president. It's going to be amazing. And I remember she lost. She she didn't even get vice president. And I was shocked. I was like, man, that's so wrong. Like you've been class president serving these people faithfully for the past three years. And now you're going to sit up here and they just going to elect some dude to take your spot, you're the most qualified. Come on. Like, this is wrong. This is sexist. This is chauvinist. And she was like, but didn't you benefit from the same thing? Ooh. And I was like, nah, because see, like, <laughs> like that was different in the sense of yeah. like, you got to understand the times because uh, what had happened hmm, was, mm-hmm. it was a serious what had happened was moment. That was like and a Nathan it actually, moment. Yeah. Listen, you, you to do. Yeah. You the dude that sexually assaulted women. Anyway, so I was like, dag, like, this is crazy, you know? And it convicted me deeply. It challenged me to say, this is a microcosm of the ways in which I have been complicit in this system that pushes women to the side and values the contributions of men far greater than other women. I just, that that story, like, every time I tell it, it hurts because I'm like, man, I'm sitting here in my self-righteous 
self-righteousness is intoxicating, right? Like, like this is something that's interesting about, you know, this racial conversation, this ethnic justice conversation that we're having is there is a way in which black men in particular, I'll just speak to us, black men in particular can have this self-righteous standing that now we have the truth. Y'all better listen to us. We we're speaking the truth from the rooftops. You know, these white people don't want to hear us. These white Christians don't want to hear us. It's a self-righteousness that can bubble up inside of us and make us think that now we have something that other people do not have. We have an understanding that other people do not have. It's just natural for that temptation to arise. And the problem is whenever it comes to us getting justice for our sisters and focusing on them, we tend to become silent and less vigorous in the pursuit and that's because, see, the kingdom of God as, as a Christian, the kingdom of God is always going to demand and require more from you than what you expected. Mm. And so we thought we were good demanding something of other people. But when something is demanded of us, well, then we step back. Then we have excuses. Then we say, you don't understand the situation. There's no excuse. We are complicit. And until we get real about that, we're going to keep having these experiences. We are the men. It's us, bro. It's not some dude down the street. It's not the dudes we see on television. It's us, man. We need to look in the mirror, bro. It is us. And we got to talk to we got to talk to other black men. Yeah, we are uh, trampled on in a racist society. We get killed at traffic stops. Uh, we get incarcerated. But you know what? Women face a lot of those same things because of their race, but have the added compounded factor of gender on top of it all. And when I was an undergrad in college, we had same sex living arrangements. So the entire dorm was men and they had all women dorms and whatnot. And I saw firsthand, I was part of it. I was in it. uh, The way men talk about women, think about women when they're not around, which of course is going to bleed out, leak out into their actual interactions with women. And so the objectification through pornography, through coarse speech, uh, the, the, the talk of, you know, uh, you know, conquests in terms of sexual conquests and whatnot, quote unquote, it, it was disgusting. And that was never really, that never came naturally to me. Uh, I wasn't necessarily the one saying it, but I didn't stop it. And that's where we have to go is yeah. that just like racism, right? Like it's one thing to be non-racist. It's another thing to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of sexism, you know, if you're not if you're not helping to alleviate the problem, you're part of the problem. And so our silence is complicity. Our silence is violence. And it's not you're right, Tyler. It's not just out there. It's not just with the president. It's not just with elected officials. It's not just with right. Hollywood movie stars. It's in the church. It's pastors. It's elders. Let, deacons. Let's also talk about this, Jamar. It's very interesting to see the pattern of the Bible, to see that even some of the greatest quote unquote people the people who we laud as heroes had the same issue in objectifying, mistreating, assaulting, harassing, doing nothing when women are abused, doing nothing when women are getting ready to be taken advantage, taken advantage of. I mean, where is our courage, bro? There, like it starts in the garden, right? It starts in right. the garden when right. a woman is being 
approached by an evil serpent, the man who is called to protect is off duty. He's either standing by, listening in, saying, oh, well, you know, that's her problem. Or he's just completely abdicated his responsibility of stepping in and speaking truth into the situation and rejecting the serpent's lies. And from that time, we see that that men throughout biblical days and then throughout our day have replicated the same mistake of being absent, missing in action, silent when we're not supposed to be. And it's a shame when you see it even in the scriptures, man, when you see it yeah. even in the scriptures that it's so clear. And, and a lot of times we, we venerate and we, we valorize these men within the biblical context. <laughs> the disciples, they didn't believe the women who went to the tomb. <laughs> mm, mm. They didn't believe them. That's like, that's, come on, man. Like, what you talking about? The women went to the tomb. The, the disciples were in the back hiding. The disciples went in a room scared, fearful of their lives. And when mm. the women said, they were like, yo, man, he's the tomb. Ah, oh, come on. Like, I got to see it for myself. Let me go run and see it for myself. And it's funny how people don't, don't really talk about that. Mm. That that's not presented as, man, why are you so skeptical of the witness of a woman? And that the first witnesses right. were women, right? Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. The first witnesses, right? But see how so, good Jesus is, is, is he elevates women yes. to their rightful place. And so the, the powers that be, the folks who are, who are just riding with the status quo are scandalized by how much Jesus is talking with women, how much he respects women, uh, how he honors them, how, um, how how he's around them, right? And not just right, fearful right. of them. And so what would that look like in our day? If yeah. we are called to follow after our Savior in all things, then what does it look like to follow Jesus in regards to honoring women? Um, yeah. And, yeah. You so, know, so I think, <laughs> go ahead, Jamar. No, I'm just saying like, what would we as Christian men have to do for the powers that be to be scandalized by how much mm. we love, honor, and respect women. I mean, what would that look like? You know what, Jamar? This is, that's a great question. Often in the conversation about racial and ethnic justice, we have this mentality and people ask us this. I'm sure you've received this question a million times. What can I do? What are the solutions? What are your suggestions? That's it. And it's really interesting. I was reading uh, Walter Brueggemann recently, and he says, our, our society is capable of, of implementing anything but imagining nothing, right? We, mm. we don't have an imagination. We just want to focus on solutions. He's like, our, our society doesn't have an issue with solutions. We, we don't have an issue with implementation. We have an issue with imagination. We have an issue with, with a properly understood discipleship. Like, so I've started saying, you know, pause and table the solutions for a second. There are tangible solutions. It's important. There's some clear things that organizations can put forward that we can get behind. But I think we need to, and this is another thing that even plays into the evangelical conversation as it relates to black Christians. You know, what can we do? Oh, you can put people in, in positions. You can, you can open the doors. You can, you, you can read more people. And, and all those things are true. But I, I think, we also need to conceive of a different reality, a reality that more closely mirrors the kingdom of God. And when we see the way that Jesus approaches, he doesn't approach it with this like, okay, what are the solutions? He goes and identifies in solidarity 
with those good who are word. pushed to the margins. That's a good word. <laughs> like Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, okay, well, this is my 10 point plan. This is my 10 step plan for doing this. You know, these are the solutions. We're so linear in how we think. And we've lost our ability to imagine a different conception of the entire grid itself. Not doing away with the scriptures, not doing away with orthodoxy, but how we're communicating it is so entrenched in our society, is so entrenched in the status quo that we've allowed our imagination to be to be boxed in. And we've allowed, okay, well, the kingdom of God, it just looks like this. It just looks like this structure and this idea and these people and the way that you communicate it is this way. And that's the only way. And we become so locked into that, that now nothing can get in to help us see the way forward. And the way forward is not steps. The way forward is, is a transformation. Like be not conformed to the world, be not conformed to the patterns and, and the systems of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need mind renewal first. And then when, when our minds are renewed, when our hearts are transformed, when we have properly lamented and repented, then we can go forward and, and make solutions happen. But to be honest, that's to be, yo, we are far behind the capability because here's what happens. People say, let's give me a solution. And I say, if you don't understand the problem, your solution going to be half baked. That's right. If you want That's to understand right. what the issue is truly in depth to hear someone, to feel someone, no, until your heart beats the same way mine does, your solutions will not be sufficient until mm. you cry at the same things I cry over. Your solutions won't reach deep enough until you are willing to, to not just stand beside me, but to go in front of me and clear the way. Your solutions mm. are... No, no. So we have to conceive of something different than just, oh man, give me something to do because I just, I need to get my hands dirty. And what is that? That's just a, a, a runway to self-righteousness. Solutions are a runway to self-righteousness. So I did something. So now you can't say I'm a racist. You can't say I'm a sexist. I did something. Remember? Remember that thing that I did? Remember that person I put on? I, I patted somebody on the back. I put someone on the panel. I mean, aren't you guys, aren't you guys happy? And then that's a self-righteous push off to say, I did it. So here we are. No, the want? kingdom of God requires more of you. Mm. And it's going to require more than you expected. So mm. well, as we talk about solutions, there are some practical, tangible things we can do. But but man, we, we got to be careful about boxing this in to this idea. So so it's just a way that we can wash our hands clean. It's like, oh, okay, this ain't my sin. Yeah, exactly. Man, so... <laughs> If y'all couldn't tell, we're recording this on uh, <laughs> right after Tyler preached, I'm sure, at some place. Um, oh, yeah, but, yeah. This. Oh, yeah. Oh, trust. <laughs> listen. Hey, I still, listen. I still got notes from Sunday. Okay. Be careful. No, that's good. It's good, man. It's a good word. And what I hear you saying is not, oh, just step back and don't take any action. What mm-hmm. I hear you oh, saying no, no. is listen and empathize because action without empathy is empty. It leads to self-righteousness, like you just said. That's and good, and you know what? That's been a massively important step for me is to – I've had to seek this out too. Men, hear me clearly. Um, unless you're in a very particular situation, you will have to seek out the voice of the marginalized – they don't always come to you. So so I think for a long time I was passive and saying, okay, I just need 
a woman to tell me something. I've had to seek out friendships and conversations and forums, whether books or podcasts yeah. or do your friendships, own work, you know, do your own work, um, which doesn't mean you can't, you know, Number one, do your own work. Don't put all the burden on women to walk teach you me, through this. Teach me. Teach me. Tell me you what know? to do. Tell me. Oh, Come my on, goodness. Bro. There's plenty out there for us to access and learn on our own. At the same time, uh, do we cultivate God-honoring friendships and relationships with women to where we have enough proximity that we can actually empathize with them, that we can actually hear their burdens, that we can actually good, weep bro. with them and rejoice with them? I think a lot of times because of I think our, our respect for the body and for sex has um, gone so far to the extreme that we can't even tell what healthy relationships look like anymore Come on, that bro. are non-sexual, right? And and so what that does is it makes a caricature of the other person. And we have caricatured women as Jezebels or temptresses, or and I'm so I'm talking to Christians right now. And that's not what God is talking about either. You know, of course, he wants us to abstain from sexual immorality, but he doesn't want us to completely separate ourselves from half of his human creation. Right. And so I think that proximity matters because if you don't have that healthy proximity to at least listen to women, then how can you ever understand and how can you ever Stand alongside or, like you said, even go before to clear the way of patriarchy and misogyny in our society and in our churches. And so that's a huge part is simply listening and getting into a position where you can listen. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, I think it's going to be incumbent upon us to one of the things that I hear and I'm relating the the racial conversation um, to the gender conversation for an important reason, because I think that's the grid that all of us are operating from. But, you know, a lot of people say that they don't challenge their family members at a, at a dinner or okay. on a holiday function right. because, hey, because I think, you know, we say, well, you know, I mean, that's, I don't want to stir the pot. Like, I don't want to rock the boat. Cause controversy, division. I don't want to cause controversy. I don't want to lose a friend. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And the tables need to be flipped, bro. Mm. The table's been sitting upright far too long. And I'm not saying you become a kamikaze and you go in and you just, you know, do whatever with the with the intent of, of just destroying the place. Like that's, there is love here. There's wisdom, right? We speak the truth in love, but man, we got to put some of this stuff on the line to say, no, I'm not going to sit by. It's it's me, you, and God, and I heard what you said, and this was wrong. You need to repent from that. You need to do some work with the Lord. You need to get on your face and lament for the ways in which society has morphed you to think about our sisters like that. Mm. That's wrong. And that means putting that friendship on the line to say, listen, if you have I become an enemy for telling you the truth? Mm. If I have, then maybe we need to reevaluate this friendship. But stepping back and saying, no, this is wrong. And I'm not going to sit by and just for the sake of peace, cry it. Cry peace, peace where there is none. I'm not just going to bind up these wounds and say, it's all good. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you meant. No, we need to check them because those men, including us, might be the ones who are out there doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. And they might be tempted to do that. That's why we need we need brothers who are willing to risk. Risk even 
being a part, being a part of the in crowd, being a part of the dudes who can laugh and joke, being a, oh man, well, here he come. He, you know, he, he not going to let us watch anything. He not going to let us listen to anything. He not going to let us do a say this. No, if that's our reputation, so what? Man, better to have clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord than to be applauded by people. Amen. So that's what's, that's what it's going to really take is when we get down to the nitty gritty, are you willing to, to, to challenge your, your boys? Are you mm. willing to challenge your people? Now you know it's real then. And I'm speaking to myself first, man. I'm not speaking from this, yeah. this perch of self-righteousness, but Yo, I'm too. saying that's, that's the call. It's the urgency to say, no, I will do something today because I know my brother be always saying these off-color things. I know the way my brother reacts and that's wrong. Yo, one of the guiding passages of scripture for me in general, but even especially when it comes to this issue of gender and how we treat one another across, uh, you know, male and female lines is Galatians 3.28. And it said in Christ, there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor, f- slave nor free, male nor female. And those categories, racial and ethnic, uh, class and gender, you can't attempt to make progress in one of those areas without trying to make progress in all of those areas. In other words, everything that we are saying about race and racism, about um, the dignity of the human person, about uh, the equality of all people, about the significance of all people, all of that applies to women in a society that is sexist, right? So if we want to dismantle sexism in our society, we need to approach it with the same urgency and burden and principles uh, that we talk about when it comes to race. And when I started to realize like all of these things are connected and and God doesn't see, um, you know, race as a more important uh, uh, character trait of humanity than, right. than gender or, 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 or whatever, then I was like, oh man, just like you said, Tyler, he's going to demand more than I expected. In fact, God is going to demand not just some of me, not just a lot of me, all but bro. all of me. Hmm. Hmm. That's powerful, Doc. So if he demands all of us, what does it look like, black men, to lay down our lives for our sisters, just hmm. as Christ laid down his life? For us, and that is chilling, bruh. We need yeah. the Holy Spirit because I cannot do that on my own. Yeah, amen, man. We repent here at Pastor Mike and the witness for our lack of urgency in this area. Um, it can be easy to see that we're railing and calling out our brothers, we don't want to do that or come across like we have you know, mastered this topic. It's just important truth for all of us to hear, yeah, and for us to challenge one another. So that we don't grow cold and grow accustomed to the deceitfulness of sin. And we repent of our lack of urgency. We repent of our complicity. We repent of the ways in which we've stepped back and we should have stepped forward. Amen. We repent of the times that we thought it would be too sticky for us to speak up and say something. Mm. You know, we repent of the times that we saw something, we looked the other way because we said, I'll get to that later. Uh, I talked to him when I see him instead of challenging it, someone in person, um, in public. Um, when they should have been, um, we repent of those things. And so we just ask the forgiveness of our, of our sisters who are listening and that you will bear with us as 
you know, we press out these things in our own lives and we, we just want to shout out our wives as well for Amen. being with us. Come on. Um, and, and dealing with our dirt, <laughs> dealing with our foolishness as, as men. And so, um, man, I just pray that. Yeah, this is just, this is not like, yo, we just doing an episode to throw this out there. Like, no, nah, we, we're going to take some intentional steps, man, to do this. This is, this change and shift from rant to the witnesses is very important for us, not just as, you know, something that we're doing to get away from something or to critique others, but also to reflect on ways in which we ourselves haven't measured up to the standard. And we're not going to allow ourselves to get a pass. And we're not going to allow our, ourselves any more excuses. Um, the time is now. And so we, we repent for that urgency and, and we'll do better. Amen, brother. Um, and I look forward to, to hearing from our sisters and continuing to learn from you. Uh, you all don't hear it enough, particularly from black Christian men, but you are amazing. Uh, we appreciate who you are just as God made you. Uh, you deserve honor and dignity and respect as a, a, a child of God. And we want at the witness for you to feel like you have a place and a voice here because you do. So thank you for bearing with us. And uh, we look forward to highlighting the voices uh, and perspectives of many other women uh, who, who, who would grace us with their wisdom. Amen. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.